back, Thunkers. And we've got DP himself, Mr. Purvis, Dwayne Purvis. This is your third runaround of the podcast with me. You were on Tripping Over the Barrel with Tim and myself twice. And now here you are, first time on What the Funk. Matt Lozer, back also for a third time, uh, once on Tripping Over the Barrel. The episode that we did with Bear Gavan, uh, talking about Earthview and their continuous methane monitoring and jumping into some of the things that you're working on. So three different time zones today. Matt is in London. Dwayne, I assume that you're in Fort Worth today, right? As always. Judging by the carcass on the wall, it's got to be Fort Worth. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, I should turn on the blur, shouldn't I? (laughs) Nah, nah, nah. It it gives you some character. That's what we're looking for. As if being the son of a preacher man isn't enough, now we need to see the (laughs) animal that you killed. Son of a preacher man, animal I killed, and a nickname DP. That's that's you. That's you. So I wanted to accomplish a few things today. We've had a lot of focus on the... um, ESG sustainability conversation. It's relevant and will continue to stay relevant, particularly in the oil and gas world. But Dwayne actually has a conference called the Carbon Expo. Matt himself is quite involved in the uh, RNG and electric vehicle charging space. So plenty for us to talk about. But Dwayne, why don't you tell us a little bit what you've been up to for the last, I don't know, nine months since you came on this thing and, and give us a little bit of insight into this Carbon Expo thing you got going on. Hey, thanks for asking. And I'm glad to be here again with you, Jeremy. Um, so since, since we did the last full Carbon Expo event, we've done a couple of free, smaller webinars. One to talk about the technologies that people could use to repurpose wells. It's a field that's just beginning to open up some really interesting ideas. It's not clear how far they can run, um, but it's great that people are trying to solve that problem. And then we did another webinar about formal education for the energy transition. Um, You know, just because we're experts in old energy doesn't mean we're experts in new energy, despite what a lot of people seem to think. Uh, And so we we had a, a discussion about how people can become knowledgeable about uh, this really deep field, but Carbon Expo the, uh, coming up on March 3rd and just around the corner is um, a full expo, um, about 15 speakers. And we're going to talk about how uh, oil and gas is facing opportunities in the energy transition. And so we'll talk some a little bit about geothermal, but CCS um, and emissions reductions are two of our biggest. Uh, and we've got a uh, a big wig from S&P Global is going to open us up in the morning. Nice. Nice. So, Matt, I know your ears perked up. You heard hydrogen. You heard CCUS. Why don't you tell Dwayne and, and the audience a little bit about what you've been working on overseas since you're checking in from Europe right now? Well, yeah, <clears throat> I'm doing uh, – I'm in the – natural gas fueling market, which is kind of a niche in the, in the U S and I'm, I'm starting a company here in London doing the same. Um, we've also got a middle East presence that we haven't quite announced yet, but we're getting pretty close. Um, but I think maybe you just did focus. 
Well, <laughs> we've announced it, folks. Shifting focus a little bit to uh, to the hydrogen front as opposed to the renewable natural gas, and it, it's it's trying to to catch catch the uh, the lightning rod. I guess is the the, the best way to put it. Just <laughs> just get get in because everybody's jumping in, and it seems to be it's it's happening all around you, but nobody really has a good idea of where it's going to end up and what what the uh, what the industry is going to do. So I'm trying to track down just what's who's actually making moves and actually using fuel right now and then um, trying to get some some kind of a connection and and get the get the infrastructure and the fueling network to them so that they can have a successful hydrogen uh, fueling mission I guess and then um, same time renewable natural gas is on the table as well so we're doing that all over yeah, the country super. in the US and that's I think we've got several years of that um, until they run out of that. So that's that's kind of where I so, my uh, perspective on everything. Hey, Jeremy, have you explained to your listeners what renewable natural gas is? Absolutely not. <laughs> First time I heard this, I thought, "What the funk?" Uh, <laughs> renewable natural <laughs> gas doesn't make any sense to me. the The idea is uh, methane created by biologic processes, uh, particularly decomposition. So you can take what is a normal waste gas naturally emitted, mm. capture it, and instead use it as a fuel. Um, so it's renewable in the sense that you can make more of it from more waste, but it's a great direct benefit because you're using it and releasing it then as CO2 instead of the much, much more potent methane it began as. Is that about right, so Matt? How does that work? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe he's not here right now. We'll, we'll find out. But he should be able to jump back in in a second. So, so are you talking literally, Dwayne, about uh, like waste, like taking trash and turning it into natural gas? Mm -hmm. Is is that what we're referring to? Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. So. Methane has two general orients. One's thermogenic and the other's biogenic. Thermogenic means it's made by thermal processes that decompose larger molecules. And okay. biogenic means it's made by microorganisms that are digesting other molecules and pooping it out. So this is one of the big debates of, about methane seen in well water. Is it biogenic, meaning it's recent and created at the surface, or is it thermogenic, meaning it came from the hydraulic, the same reservoir that was hydraulically fracked? Okay. Basically, what they're doing is harnessing the process of biogenic gas. Um, you've seen landfills with wellheads all over them and, and hoses. That's what they're doing. They're collecting sure. the natural methane decomposition products. Okay. Wow. So turning our trash into energy. Kind of cool. The better use for it. And I'm sure there's a lot of science behind how that process actually works. The hardest part, well, and Matt, you're going to correct me here, but as I understand it, the hardest part is uh, actually collecting it. 
Because this is stuff that's normally created at a low level over a large area, like a wastewater treatment plant or a landfill. Can you guys hear me? Uh, yeah, yes, got sir. you now. It's a, the, the hardest part is collecting it. But we the technology to create biogas is actually really simple. Uh, you can make a, a biogas digester um, to go in your backyard and it's cleaner and better than a than a composter, I think. So, yeah. So, uh, Dwayne, for me, once we put it into the pipeline and it gets to the station, it's all the same. So it, it's got the same product and and I don't have to worry about any of that, but it's, it's about nominating that renewable aspect of it to the purchaser mm-hmm. and that transaction and all, all of that. So it, I'm a little bit less on the uh, how it happens, but uh, just getting it to the to a transaction that's a standard fueling, you know, unit. Um, interestingly right. enough, I read your article about the equivalent barrels of oil. Yeah. And we've actually incorporated that into our spreadsheet of, uh, of fueling prices. We've got an equivalent barrel of oil now. If In case somebody ever wants it, we can, we can throw that at the pump. So Yeah, excellent. I love it. So, so we're talking got, about... We've got we've got uh, diesel gallons equivalent, uh, gasoline gallon equivalents, kilograms of hydrogen, and we've got now we've got barrels of oil. So, yeah, very cool. <laughs> or barrels of energy, so, I guess. Barrels of energy. The normal historical way to compare oil and gas, combine them is on an energy basis, but that kind of distorts the picture because the price for that energy is significantly different between the sources. Yeah. So I had proposed that we use a value equivalent. And, and just and call it barrels of value rather than barrels of energy mm. or barrels of oil equivalent. Um, but, you know, I'm really hopeful about hydrogen. I'm hopeful hydrogen is going to be able to scale in a way that renewable natural gas couldn't. Yeah, and I think I think it will. It's just going to take, um, you know, you got to get the price down from it's $16 a gallon right now. So. That's just obviously that's not going to work. Um, yeah. So it's just going to take some time to 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 happen. But I, I think it is. I mean, it's got the energy. I think the uh, I think the market's seeing it. I, I do think that you're going to start to see some um, ammonia competitors on the fuel cell market. Mm-hmm. Well, they'll actually crack ammonia on the yeah. on the vehicle on the fly. And yeah. The, yeah. And then I think you'll see that in some markets that like Australia. Where uh, yeah. uh, they're just less concerned about the NOx emissions and stuff like that, so we'll see where that goes. But it's well, it's, it's definitely an a whole lot easier. To, it's a whole lot easier to get ammonia into a car than it is hydrogen <laughs> into a car. You know, I I tell people it's kind of like the the internet in the early nineties. Do either of you remember the internet in the early nineties? Oh yeah. Okay. Sure. Well. Okay. Sure. I don't Thank want to you. say we were with uh, the internet in the early '90s, but it was it was, it was uh, a lot of late night activity with that thing. Well, there was there was a time period maybe after billboards were the main thing. Uh, you know, it was it was wide open and uh, it was a no man's land, and you didn't know what was going to happen. You just knew you needed a website. Yeah, and that's that's kind of where I think we are now. The I know is we need hydrogen. I don't know anything else. But there's going to be a future for hydrogen and 
you need you need to have a website. And it, it'll it'll evolve slowly and in phases and then fast and it's gonna be nuts. But it's great that you're yeah. there. And and I and I just see a place for oil and gas in that, not just the midstream guys who need to uh, downstream who need to distribute it. But there are a couple ways that we can store or generate hydrogen with oil and gas. Oil and and gas carbon fuels. sequestering is is definitely that's a huge part of that. I mean, you you've got that's, yeah. I, I figure of all the opportunities for oil and gas in the energy transition, carbon capture and sequestration is like the first three batters. <laughs> Maybe it's only the first two, and geothermal comes in, but uh, hydrogen is uh, is. Maybe below that, I think, in terms of urgency, but it's yeah. it's, it's real. It's um, it's a real opportunity for some people, and, and that's why we're focused and on our, the Carbon Expo. We we don't have it. We have almost nothing on hydrogen. We have one talk on hydrogen potential from oil and gas, um, but much more on other topics. So t- tell me, what is the so the intent of Carbon Expo? Is it are you focusing on capturing the carbon? Is that the, the, the idea carbon? is to a little bit broader, Matt. What we're trying to do is give people the knowledge, the insights, the relationships to make a business in the energy transition so that folks will see it as an opportunity that it is rather than a threat. You're not yeah. going to, there's no way to fight this tide anymore. And personally, I don't think we should fight it. Um, but that some people think we should, but even if you think we should, we can't. And so the the best yeah. you can do, the best oil and gas companies can do is lean in, um, accommodate to the world that exists and the world that is going to be. Uh, we need to reduce our emissions, and that's one of our big themes. We're gonna our products are beginning to differentiate themselves based on their emissions profile, which is to say, no longer strictly a commodity, but a differentiated product. And uh, then after that, there are entirely new lines of business uh, like CCS that are available to us. Yeah. And, and if, do you have anybody just asking, I've been researching a lot of, about graphene and the, uh, I've, I've got a concept that I can't go too much into, but if we could take methane directly and knock out the carbon into graphene immediately and then use that graphene for some, um, I don't even want to say what I'm thinking right now. But or do you have any any interest in that market right now, or is, or is that something you've even talked about or heard about? I don't even. Know. I have heard some talk about graphene, particularly graphene batteries, which have uh, okay. enormous potential if they can overcome the technical hurdles. But it falls in this category of any number of other technologies that, man, that's really cool. That's really awesome if we can make it work. And it's, it's impossible to predict who the winners are going to be. But there are a lot of people spending a lot of money on R&D, on game-changing solutions. And a bunch of those are going to happen. Uh, what it sounds like what you need is our presentation from uh, Greentown Labs on how to finance a climate tech project. Oh yeah, well, probably. <laughs> they're they're an incubator based in Houston and Boston, and they've they've got some really great, uh, innovative, effective concepts in their in their portfolio, and they're going to talk about how to get funding to to bring that kind of game changing 
high growth idea to the world. Yeah. Yes. And uh, so I'll, actually, I'm going to just market myself here. I'm going to be down there March 17th, the weekend of March yeah. 17th for a Aggie baseball reunion thing. Uh, oh, you played I, ball? I didn't play Aggie baseball. Well, no. No, I said that wrong. <laughs> me, oh, me and my buddies from the Corps are meeting at an Aggie baseball game. That's excellent. a better way to say it. Where have we stole uh, your old coach, TCU's old coach? Uh, I can't even pronounce his name. Schlossel. Oh, no, that, no, that hurt. That hurt. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm an Aggie bad. class of 94, and uh, TCU's hometown team, but, but A&M still has my heart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's totally that way. But uh, they started off three and zero first weekend. It was uh, they run ruled Seattle. Um, oh, A and M did excellent. TC started out pretty strong, I'm told, but then they they lost miserably in the in the last game on Sunday. Wow, that's too bad. <clears throat> Guys, enough about Maybe baseball. Do what do we think this up. is? <laughs> Hey, and it happens. We can talk about the Astros next, and you'll be all jazzed up. Or no, it's the Red Sox. I'm sorry. I'm just, I'm just kidding. I mean, anybody who's watching this on video looks behind me, and it's basically a shrine to the Boston Red Sox. I love baseball, and and we're coming back to that time of year, right? Hope springs eternal in February when everybody starts checking into spring training in Florida and and Arizona. So it, it's definitely a relevant topic for sure. Um. Matt, you went to AM, yeah. right? Yeah, I graduated uh, 98, class of 97, graduated 98. Oh, so you guys so, almost uh, cross paths. Yep, I left in 94. I was just, just a couple so years behind. So if you were there in 94, so you I, – I like to make fun of the guy, but uh, did you know Tim at AM? I did, yep. Uh, do you know Gary Buffington? Not ringing a bell. I'm all right. Maybe well, in classes right. with him, but I don't really remember. Okay. Anyway, he uh, he was there with Tim. Went started with Tim. Finished after me. So it was, it was that's one of the guys that almost he almost anybody I ask if they know him they almost know him. You know, it's it's uh, yeah, it's usually a it's a it's a it's a positive on that on that front. That's funny. Sorry, That's didn't funny. mean to derail here. We can get back on track. <laughs> Gary Buffington, not so, only a alumni, but also tripping over the barrel alumni. How about that? No uh, way. Go ahead, Matt. Yeah, yeah, for sure. What? What? What happened? I missed something. Oh, it's all good. Go ahead. No, I missed what we were talking about. Uh, oh, you were about to, to ask something. Yeah, it's all good. We <laughs> we got a little clip we can we can cut out there. But uh, Matt, why don't you go ahead? You're, there's a little bit of lag on your side, I think. So why don't you go ahead and restart whatever conversation you're about to restart? Yeah. So tell me what I've noticed on the hydrogen front over here in Europe, and this is a little bit different from in the the U.S., but seems to be all of the uh, the trade shows, they've been hosted by, it's almost a, uh, it's a media, the media is controlling who's hosting all of these events and they're, and they're, uh, they're dominating who gets, gets in. And um, 
so I'm just curious how it, for your carbon expo is that your mechanism to to uh, I guess just generate revenue or is is or what's what's your aspect? How are you going to make money on this? Is what I'm I'm trying to. Figure I, I sure out. wish I were making money on it, Matt. I sure wish I were. <laughs> it's uh, I started the conference. I, I brainstormed and came up with it in the summer of 21. So this is a need. The industry needs this. By the time I got it put on, we were if not the very first, one of the very first decarbonization conferences, we put it on last year. And, um, and we set the bar really low uh, for cost and we gave away the event functionally. We lost a lot of money on it. Uh, as it stands right now, we're still not trying to make money. We're trying to break even. Um, so what that means is that although we have two days worth of content, uh, our price is a 10th as much as a two day live conference. So our gotcha. $229 um, and then people can come back for 60 days and watch it. So it's, this is not intended to, um, to be a real profit center. Just trying to get good content to yeah. people to work with. Yeah. Right. I mean, events, events are hard, like, and especially in-person events, but online events are challenging too, because then you have to deal with bandwidth issues and things like that. You know, a couple of years ago, when I was kind of in the early stages of launching my company with Funk Futures, I decided a good way to get exposure would be to do a uh, like a charity golf event and put that together mm -hmm. out here. We did it in Colorado and we broke even on it after the $2,500 donation I made to the I Have a Dream Foundation of Boulder County, which was great. <laughs> but the amount of time that I spent putting into that event and then combining the foursomes and set, you know, coordinating with the golf course and dealing with complaints of people playing at a turn or taking too long. And there, it was, it was a lot, man. And, and so I give you endless yep, respect yep. and credit, Dwayne, the events game is not easy. And I know the digital wildcatters have kind of leaned into this too. They've got their Bitcoin, you know, empower event. They did fuse, which mm -hmm. is just sort of a, general energy tech conference last year, but I see what it takes to put these events together. And it's a lot. I think one thing that people take for granted also yeah. is that the majority of the people sign up for these events the week of, right? So you've got this really slow trickle of people signing up and then boom, the last week you actually get a hold of what your numbers are. So you're constantly in communication with whoever it may be to say, Oh no, it's, it's not 60. Now it's 114. Okay, it's not 114, it's 129, right? right? So um, definitely something that you're keeping tabs that problem on. That problem works it, with you know. digital. Is it really? No, it's, it's a real problem. It's a real difficulty. And, and it is a, a huge logistics to handle. It, the logistics are easier since I'm not dealing with a hotel, um, somewhat easier, different set. But digital in particular, people will sign up late. And so, but the great thing is people can easily sign up the morning of and still make it. Um, but right. it's, it does make it harder for us, harder for us to plan. You know, it's we'll a good down. reason to uh, you know, you just call in uh, and get some continuing education units on a, uh, on a whim. And I think that's what, what happens. You need to take the day off so you just go to a conference. On the digital conference, you know. Well, I do wish that there was um, uh, the continuing education credits that people needed, but most people in my industry don't have to meet 
continuing education yeah. credits. Accountants do, right? Like you, you do get out on the accounting side. <laughs> yeah, exactly. On the operations so side, though, be- you're right. Uh, so I've got uh, uh, that's a little dilemma for me right now because I've got uh, I've, I'm licensed in 34 states and they all have different uh, requirements Jeez. and some of them they're requiring live webinars now so it's uh, it's something yeah it's it's nuts New York and I think Ohio requires real contact hours where you can interact with the instructor and oh. uh, it's something like 12 hours a year something to that effect but it's a problem because it's it's hard to find them and you got to pay you got to find the right number one you got to be available and you got to have time and then you got to be there so it's Mm -hmm. it's definitely something you could uh if you can find some the the carbon sequestration would would count towards that if if we could find a way to interact that with uh we are going to have a we are going to have a live q a so our, our presentations are pre-recorded, and that creates more flexibility for the guys who are coming. We'll have a watch party. We'll say, you know, everybody who's here, let's go watch everything in session one, and you can chat with each other while you're watching it. But then we will do a live Q&A in the afternoon. So we'll have a, a session with all of our speakers on CCS. And we've got um, several folks who've got deep backgrounds in CCS um, talking about projects they've worked on uh, or how analyses they've made, like real world stuff rather than hypotheticals. And you show up for an hour and a half and ping them with questions. Yeah. That would work. your credit. So I have a question for... I'm going to do it. Nice. Well, I have a question for both of you, I guess maybe even more specifically for Dwayne. So let's let's go back to AM or or TCU or Oklahoma, you know, UT Mines, you name it, where they have petroleum engineering programs. Is there now curriculum offered for people to take carbon sequestration courses, ESG sustainability centric classes that have just really started to pop up over the last couple of years? Or are those still being formalized now? You know, the, the, the assertion, uh, the narrative in a lot of locations is that higher education is woke and pushing some sort of agenda. You know, in my location at TCU, I don't see that. And that's that would be a place. And I really don't see it in the oil and gas uh, schools. So last, just a few months ago at the ATC, there was a panel discussion from four major petroleum engineering departments and mostly they were digging in their heels to resist mm. any kind of change. Uh, but it seems to me that they're, they're missing the boat. This is where the research money is going to be. This is where the jobs are going right. to be. This is what their students need to know. Uh, yeah. I, I think it's starting to work its way in sideways in a little bit. But there are also industry organizations that are filling the gap. Carbon Expo is doing some of that. Um, Saga Wisdom putting mm-hmm. on uh, some some trainings that are about ESG for oil and gas. And the, um, the people are going to find the, the needs or find the education or they're going to be left out. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's happening out there in the real world, right? So that there's no reason to, to kind of hide people. And, and, you know, one of the things, Dwayne, that you see, 
you and I see eye to eye on is that we believe oil and gas has the knowledge, wherewithal, scientific subject matter expertise to actually lead this energy transition or whatever you want to call it, energy addition, right? If that's less offensive to people. And I, I think that that's something that that you're really trying to put forth there is you're having people from the industry. This is not government entities. Yeah. This is not people from, uh, you know, greenwashing woke environment, <laughs> environmental groups saying this is what needs to be done. It's execution of what is actually happening today. And that's really what I got out of it the last time, too, is I don't want to hear about what people think we should do. I want to hear about what's actually right. happening. Right. And, and that's the same thing with Bitcoin mining. And then. Go ahead, Dwayne. No, it's a great point, Jeremy. It's a great point. Um, it, it has been historically. We need to do this. We need to, we're, we're starting to see now in our, our content for this event is down to the operational level. We've gone from strategy discussion to tactical discussion, and we're in operational discussion now. You know, ta- hands on getting stuff done. Um, and that's really encouraging. Yeah, it probably won't move as fast as people wanted it to, but it is going to move and it is going to move fast. Um, and do you think it's mostly because the, the large companies are willing to pay for it now? They're, they they recognize that there's a, there's a cost for the carbon footprint and, they, and they're just throwing money at it? I think, to get it I think they can't get away from it. We, we, see, we see changes happening at multiple levels. And so the, the American majors have historically drugged their feet. They've been the last to join, but they're actually doing a good deal now. Um, they're standing up real efforts in CCS in particular. But there, the pressure from financial markets across the board and even indirectly. So the, the banks, insurance companies um, and other investors are wanting to know what your situation is. Um, and and that's bringing it home. but it's easy to see that it needs to be done, right? There's, there's no excuse. There's no reason, no benefit from releasing our methane into the air. It's, it's just real hard to argue that we shouldn't do that or we should do that. We should release our methane. Um, But then there, there's this, it's an ecosystem of, of players. We have to have finance involved. We have the companies involved. We have to have service companies um, we have to have accounting issues and all of those parts are, are building up and becoming available. So you go to a, a conference now and you can find plenty of vendors who will go check your site for methane emissions. That, that didn't exist sure. in the same way three years ago. Um, so it's, they are lowering the threshold to check for emissions and that makes it more accessible. So it's, that what what I think we're going to see, and and Dwayne, I saw you speak eloquently at the PPDM event in Oklahoma City back in December, and one red flag really went off for me as you were discussing all this, and that's the larger operators who inherently have a lower lifting cost, right? What it costs to actually get oil or natural gas out of the ground have an advantage in this whole game in that because they're so profitable and operating their businesses at scale, even with somewhat lower oil and natural gas commodity prices, 
they have the ability to invest in carbon sequestration and emissions reduction centric solutions. But what about the smaller operator that doesn't have the ability to operate at scale? Is, are we potentially hedging into an area where the smaller operator will become obsolete because it's just simply too expensive for them to operate and also bring some of these sustainable solutions into the, their fold? So there are two questions there, I think, Jeremy. The first is the livelihoods of the smaller operators. And that is standalone a life or death issue. The population of independent producers is, in fact, declining, but the volumes that they affect, that they control are declining and the opportunities that they have to rehabilitate, to replenish or to grow their production is also diminishing. The wells that they operate are mostly very, very old. Mm. When those are depleted, they don't have the same opportunities. There's not, We're not going to find any more. Onondaga, um, not to speak of, we're not going to find any, any more um, Woodbine Fields or Rodessa or Ellenberg. We've functionally found all, all those. The second question, and there's one, a significant question of whether or not those guys can wind up their business in a profitable, honorable way, whether they can get their wells plugged and, and, and go on. Mm-hmm. The other question is whether or not they uh, folks can bring the capital necessary for a new kind of business there it certainly does take a good deal of money in particular ccs project very expensive and there are companies coming into the space to finance them and i believe the first projects are going to have to be larger i also believe that will be able to do smaller and smaller projects. As we figure it out and become efficient at it, we'll yeah. be better able, as we get the systems working, we'll be better able to do smaller projects. So you could you might find a, a single gas plant or a couple gas plants or a single power plant, single cement plant, and go to that sing, cement plant and say, hey, look, let's put CCS on and we can inject it and sequester it right here a mile away. And that kind of pro- project, one, once the skills and the systems are established, that kind of project, I think, becomes viable and accessible to more people. Now, it's been a, a long time since the industry could drill a well for half a million dollars. You know, we're, we're yeah. already at the point where anybody wanting to develop anything needs 50 or 100 million dollars. I mean, you, you, you can't you can't do hardly anything without that. And and that. I think we can get back to that threshold with CCS. I don't see it in the next couple so of years, the, but I do think that'll be possible. So the idea of the traditional wildcatter is now shifting. The wildcatting, quote unquote, is going to take in sustainable, renewable projects because we've effectively yes, found is. all of the places where we could execute and pull hydrocarbons out of the ground. Right, the decline curves are in fairly the, steep. In North We've America, probably hit true. oil in North America. Yeah, in North America for sure. Maybe offshore yeah, is yeah. a different so, story. Maybe, um, the maybe overseas. Majority, I don't know. There, there are lots of places in the in OPEC with much, much lower finding and development costs, much, much lower lifting costs, and those guys are structurally advantaged. They're the ones able to meet new supply needs. Um, We've we haven't found a new shale place since 2014. 
And the tier one acreage is uh, majority drilled in all three major oil plays and large majority of Bakken and uh, Eagleford top tier acreage is drilled. We're already in the process of downgrading. Now, whether we uh, maintain peak or not is a function of how fast we drill. But um, that, that peak is really sensitive. And we scale back and we'll see it fall like it did over COVID. It fell um, absurdly, like, like 20% in, in eight months or something um, during COVID. Uh, and that's, that's the kind of treadmill we're on. And we'll, we'll cross that threshold again. Um, what are you seeing from a, a worldwide perspective? How is it different overseas as opposed to in the U.S.? Well, so the U.S. was one of the uh, early leaders, right? Um, 19th century, we were already a, a global powerhouse of oil production. The, the, the global epicenter of oil production in the 1890s was Ohio. Yeah. Sure. So we we started early and then we peaked. We were the the first the first country to peak its conventional production. But Russia, um, Iran, Iraq, Saudi Arabia, UAE are all still increasing their production and they haven't started to drill for shales yet. And they they have mm. source rock just like we have source rock. Yeah. So we uh we started first, we got a lot of benefit out of it. But we're also going to be the first to shut down. And then those guys with much lower cost, fresher, fresher inventories of, of acreage will make the new supply. Hmm. Dwayne Doom and Gloom Purvis, everybody. Here he is giving us a <laughs> dose of reality. Hey, I'm going to add in. Sorry. <laughs> I think the U.S. has something like 300 years worth of uh, natural gas. So, you know, we still have all of that. Yeah. It's a first, it's a really solid point that natural gas is a different animal than oil. Oil is uh, explored for separately, easier to account for. It's it's very easy to see the peak. We don't, natural gas is handled differently. It's a different history of record keeping and of production, but also larger supply. Now, the the issue is uh, that we're facing now is at what cost, at what value. Um, but yeah. the, the, the outlook for natural gas in general, all globally and in the U.S., is more positive. Um, it has it has yeah. longer legs. And probably yeah, more volatility, too. Yeah. Well, especially so, you see. Um, sorry, go ahead. No, I just I have to you got your it finger up. You're ready. No, I, I have to cut it because I have to run. I feel like the conversation is just now getting really interesting. But um, Dwayne. Where and we don't want to give away all the secrets yeah. to the Carbon Expo either, Dwayne. Where can people find? Okay. Is there a website somewhere people can go to sign up for the Carbon sure. Expo? CarbonExpo.us uh, has a shows all the people speaking. Has a link to sign up. We're hosting it through a a platform called what well, was called Socio. Now it's WebEx Events, custom built for for virtual conferences, um, and they'll actually handle the registration. But actually, if you want to see it, there's a uh, a video uh, posted on uh, on our website under the uh, exhibit sponsor tour. You can see what, what it looks like and then follow that link in the upper right-hand corner to register. Okay. And what are the dates again? Cool. March 3rd is the live event. 
So we'll have the the live uh, presentation in the morning, live Q&A in the afternoon. Um, and we'll also have some live breakouts over lunch and in the afternoon where you can meet together um, by interest or by area to chat with folks um, in real time. And then the, the nice. recordings of the content will be available after that. All right. Awesome. So there'll be little breakout so we, rooms where we'll be able to talk live. Okay. Yeah, and you Perfect. can go to the room on hydrogens. Or you can go to the room on North <laughs> on uh, Texas. We actually have a room. We turned off the room on uh, on London, on Europe. We don't, we don't have that one active well, yet. But if you want it, we'll turn it on for you. <laughs> so, that. ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> sign up for the Carbon Expo. It's fantastic. I went last year and learned a lot. Uh, great to hear about the tactical go. execution so, uh, by the way, and I'm, operation. I'm going to sign up immediately after there we go. There we go. That website again is www.carbonexpo.us, www.carbonexpo.us backslash we are running out of oil. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, thank you.